All right, um, hey kids, this is uh, Gary from Last Call of Torchies, uh, just telling you and uh, that this is an episode that my audio is still a little wonky on, and I apologize for that, but we, uh, on behalf of Lee and Cameron and myself, uh, just to say thanks for your patience, I had some problems, obviously, with my health and um, other stuff to prevent me from editing this episode and getting it out to you. So if you're listening now and you're a supporter of Last Call of Torchies, probably all 25 of you or more, I, I, I hope more, uh, this is a, a project of love for us, and we are going to get uh, better on the scheduling and the releasing, and that is all my fault on the plate there. So next episode you will get, I, I'd say... A week after this one, maybe two weeks, uh, depending on how fast I get the, 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 the next Blu-ray to listen to the commentary and do some research. But um, look for them more regularly soon. Again, thanks for your support. Uh, keep on rocking and uh, keep on bopping. Enjoy this Warriors episode. It was, it was a labor of love. Uh, thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, it was. I wanted to do something that was a little bit sci-fi, a little bit futuristic, but at the same time, it had to have the crack of reality right. to it. And, um, you know, it's almost a musical in some ways. I guess, yeah, the costumes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, and I just thought of it as it was a crazy place, and I wanted it to push the envelope. There was a scene. It was from a novel by Saul Urich. The, the novel is meant to be fairly realistic, and it's kind of a Trotskyite division of... Uh, uh, I would say, and but there was a scene in the novel where one of the characters is reading a comic book, and the comic book is the Xenophon story the, from classic Greek literature, and but it was in a comic book, and the and the characters the the character in the book says, "Hey, these guys are just like us. Hey, you know, they're running away from," and I and I said to myself, "That's how to do the movie." <laughs> Do it like a comic book. Do it, do it weird and strange, and yeah, and let the Greek stuff jump if if it's there for anybody who wants to see it. But I think really, you know, the why did you react the way you reacted? You asking me? Yeah, because I think it was not you were not unique in the uh, going. Wow, you know, hey, this is really something. And I think a lot of it was really it was a movie. Where, you know, they had made a lot of gang movies before and right. all that kind of business, but the, the what was different, yeah, that we did, was we didn't examine it as a social problem movie. It it was you just took it, you amplified it to like a, a, you know, a, we suggested that the gangs were a a, a rational uh, choice for people in survival situations. Somebody who thinks he's tough as a nickel steak. But they all come to speed for the go Raimi. Now get this. We ain't partners. We ain't brothers and we ain't friends. My little brother was 15 years old. Think about that. You're waiting for How about cutting hate? Oh, I get it. You want some kind of contest, huh? You're real.
against my boys. I guess maybe you'll have to kill me. It'll hurt if I do. Well, looks like I finally ran into someone that likes to play as rough as I do. Yeah, this must be your lucky night. My bodies, they're not nice like me. Are we supposed to say thanks? You're not supposed to say nothing. Hello, Boppers, and welcome to another episode of The Last Call of Torches. I'm one of your hosts, Gary Hill, with me tonight is Lee Russell. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing real good, man. I got my face paint on and my uh, baseball bat ready. So, uh, going to talk some Warriors. It's at the ready, man. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but tonight, very tired, very, very tired from his shoot with uh, apparently douchebag effects people. We won't name any names because we're respectful, I guess, but you know who you are, man. Tom Karen, Savini. Tom Savini. <laughs> with, your, with your sloppy work in the burning. I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cameron Scott is here. How you doing, sir? You know, I'm doing great. I, I'm ready to rock and roll. I got my face paint on. I got a switchblade. I'm, I'm ready to fucking kill this shit. And by this shit, I mean special effects people. Uh, <laughs> coming down. Look at the hammer down, baby. But, uh... uh yeah. Ready to bop. <laughs> Ready to bop, man. Stay cool. Yeah, this, this is the next one in the line. So I'm right on the heels of the driver. Uh, literally, right after uh, The Warriors from 1979 is the film that we're doing next with that real live bunch from Coney. See? Real, real good stuff there, you know? Mm-hmm. I can't do the voice like Lynn, like Lynn Thigpen. That's just a magical thing. And she had it, baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, of course, is directed by Walter Hill. And, uh, not written by Walter Hill. Um, he he read on the script. It was written by Dave, David Shaver, uh, based on a novel by Saul Urich. Uh, about 15 years of novel up to this movie. It's just a little bit different. Um, um, it's 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 good shit. Uh, music by Barry Devorzan, uh, which if if you don't strut during the opening credits of this movie. There's something wrong with you. I want to get up and do it right now because mm-hmm. uh, we are recording a podcast that would not make you level with the microphone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is fun. Um, stunt coordinator was was Craig R. Baxley, who did lots of stunt coordination, but his directing credits came later, which includes such such gold as Action Jackson, I Come in Peace, and The Immortal. Stone Cold, starring mm. Brian Bosworth and Lance Henriksen, and you know, uh, I love that kind of shit. Uh, <laughs> but he, he did he did lots of stunt coordination stuff for like the A Team and stuff like that back way back when, and you know, he did it for this movie and The Long Riders for Walter Hill. So mm. there's a uh, two, two pretty big ones. Um, your cast, your big, very big cast uh, of unknowns at the time: M- Michael Beck as 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 our our replacement war chief Swan. Uh, James Remar as Ajax, Dorsey Wright as Cleon, Brian Tyler as Snow, David Harris as Cochise, Tom McKitterick as Cowboy, uh, Marcelino, Marce, Marcelino, Marcelino Sanchez as Rembrandt, I'm sorry about that, Terry Mikos as Vermin, Thomas G. Waits, uncredited as Fox, and I'll tell you why right now, we're, we're going into it. Supposedly, him and Walter Hill had like a meeting to get to know each other. They they, they watched like old James Dean movies, I guess, to get the the feeling of their character or whatnot. And something happened where he offered him a drink 
And I don't know if he was a former alcoholic or a former addict, but this did not go well. Maybe he thought it was unprofessional and they got fights on set, you know, <laughs> over like, like almost fist fights on set over just them not liking each other. And this is why the fight, uh, Chomsky waits Fox is the, the only warrior you see die on screen. <laughs> he gets, Gee, I wonder he how gets that thrown on the train. Yeah, he gets thrown on the train. So you know, don't you wish you had a train? You could throw your effects person out there. I'm just throwing it oh, out there. Yeah. If not a train, at least a, a slow moving <laughs> bus, something. <laughs> but this is why he's the only only warrior that dies, and why he chooses to remain uncredited. He's not in the credits as as this character, but he he played Windows and John Carpenter's The Thing. If yeah. you want to know who that guy is. Uh, Deborah Van Valkenburg is Mercy, who would show up in Streets of Fire and some other goodies. Mm. Roger Hill is Cyrus, the man himself. Uh, David Patrick Kelly as Luther. Lynn Thigpen mm. as the DJ. Oh, man. There's, there's some good shit in here. And, and there's man. a bunch of, like, people in this that just, like, are uncredited that are, like, Steve James and, Steve and James. Sonny mm. Landham. <laughs> Robert Townsend, for fuck's sake. Uh, Sonny what, Landham. What's, what's his name, uh... Last name Keys or whatever Irwin, the fuck is Irwin. Yeah, Irwin yeah. Keys. Keys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, I I didn't know this. Mercedes Rule, uh, who have, I've always enjoyed her work in just about anything, shows up as the uh, the police woman that uh, catches Ajax. You know, oh, trying yeah. to get a piece. You know. Yep. Even hotter in the seventies, people. Let me tell you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Let's just let's just throw some 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 shade on the Warriors here and. Will give us some love, of course, because you know we really hate this movie. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Uh, oh yeah, it was but, such a chore to get through. Such, such a chore to get through for the for the 28th time or something. Uh, <laughs> kick it to Lee Russell first. Uh, thoughts on the Warriors, sir? Kick it up. Um, I quite like this film quite a bit. Uh, I, I mean, again, it's another one of these early Walter Hill ones where it's he's pretty much doing no wrong. It, it and I think. One of the things I really appreciate about it is that he's right out of the gate. He's making different films like every time, right? Like he's he's doing something a little different. He's still got his sort of minimalist style and sort of streamlined narratives and things going on. And even more so here, really, because this is very much like a uh, a comic book movie. And I'm sure we'll get more on on that later uh, in the, the discussion. But uh, it just it just flows so well. It works so well. It's. Um, like it, it's not one of these films where you go in necessarily looking for a message or anything, you know, uh, it's it just, it's a really good action film, chase film, uh, very big characters, very broadly drawn. Um, and it's just like a, an enta- entertaining ride all the way through. Um, uh, I, I like you, Gary, I've, I've watched this plenty of times. I don't think I've watched as many times as you have, but I've watched it quite a few times and it's like, it's an effortless watch. It's, it just, it's just so good. It's just like, I don't want to, you know, like, uh, uh, damn it with faint praise or something like that. You know, I'm, uh, I'm going to call it like cinematic junk food, but like in sort of like the best possible way. Cause it's also just like really well-made and really well shot. It looks really fucking good. Um, but yeah, I, I love this film quite a bit. Yeah, Cameron, go for it, brother. Uh, I love this movie so much that in the last 24 hours, I watched it twice. Uh, <laughs> I watched the theatrical cut and watched the director's cut. Um, uh, 
It's probably one of my two favorite Walter Hill films. If I had to narrow it down, to, it's hard to narrow it down to one, but it is one of my two favorites. It is, uh, as uh, Lee put it already, it's very comic bookish, beautiful colors, beautifully uh, uh, shot. The cinematography is great. And like you said already, Gary, you know, if you don't strut to that that theme song, you're, mm. there's, there's, there's something wrong with you. And, you know, I mean, uh, and I'm for one, I can dig it. I can dig this fucking movie, <laughs> you know, and I like the, the idea, that, you know, that Walter Hill did do something different, you know, with each and every film, you know, in, in his career. Like you said, Lee, you know, he has that minimalistic style, but, you know, it's not like, you know, everything's the same. You know, you got a, a story of a down and out fighter in the first movie. The second movie is about, you know. A driver now is about you know gangs it's just it's a little bit different each and every time you can see his style evolving and this has had probably one of the best cast that he ever worked with you know he always kind of worked with a you know a good ensemble cast i think that's one of you know walter hill's strong points and you know the the acting is of varying degrees of quality in, in this movie you know i'm not trying to piss on it at all because i do love this movie a lot but you know it's just this movie oozes fucking style. It, it's it's a live action mm. comic book come to life, and I've probably seen it about as much as Gary, probably a good twenty five thirty times. I'm I'm willing mm. to bet. I uh, only seen the uh, the director's cut. This is only the second time, but I kind of felt like I needed to see it just to see the differences, you know, in the two cuts this time. And uh, I have to give a thumbs up to the theatrical cut. You know, usually I'm a director's cut kind of guy, but. I'm theatrical cut with this one all the way, but yeah, absolutely love this movie. Well, it doesn't add much to it besides the whole. Here's the idea of where it came from. The the um, the, the um, I forget what it is, but the kind of the, Greek mythology. Yeah, yeah, the Greek mythology, the just soldier, small amount of soldiers versus large army thing, and I I didn't need that laid out for me, but by Walter Hill, I mean the the the, the it's written in places and. I, I feel like it ro- romanticizes the whole concept maybe a bit too much. Like we're mm-hmm. we're deep down we're still talking about like street gangs here, you know, right. fighting for turf, right? So, well, one of the biggest stars of this movie is is New York is New York City, you know, and, mm. and all of its boroughs, and it starts with that, which I think they moved it now, but it still exists. Uh, the Wonder Wheel, uh, Ferris Wheel of Coney is all lit up, and it starts with that. Mm. So Beautiful you know. Shot. Yeah, if you ever had that start with the movie, I, I was like, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> for for a while, I, I had a, I had the the they can get you buy it now, but for a long time, and they they etched they etched out the HD transfer of the Warriors on Voodoo, but I, I I you could look for it within your movies itself. So that's the only version that I would watch. But um, supposedly I, I had to look for this or I, I ask Mike White for it. If you haven't listened to it's a very early episode of the Projection Booth. Uh, this is my mentor. I got to give him a shout out. Um, like episode 20 of the projection was I shared with the guys to listen to, uh, our friend Mike White and, and Mondo Justin did a kick-ass show where it's like a big old round table of the actors. Mm. From the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's so a great episode. It's nice to listen to if you're, if you're a fan of this movie. And, um, yeah, they talk about a TV cut on that episode that I've never seen with, with extra scenes in there. And they they don't add much to the movie, but I'm so much of a fan of the movie that I, I must seek out this TV cut of the movie. Oh, man, I'd love to see that. I, I wonder if it, this feels like a movie that 
was that should have been playing on A&E all the time back in the 90s. Like, it right. just feels like one of those films. But uh, I, I'm pretty sure it never did. Uh, so it's like, where where did this play on TV? I'd be, like, really interested in knowing that. Well, I think that, you know, because they, they, if you read up on stuff, it really didn't regain any big notoriety from people saying, hey, have you seen The Warriors until, like, 20 years ago? It's, like, 25 years ago. Yeah. Because, you know, I, that's that's how I kind of fell into it was, like, I forget how I fell into it. And it was probably some reference from some other thing I was watching that made me seek out the Warriors because it's not one of the Walter Hill films. That's, that's I'm not even using the word regarded because that's a bunch of bullshit. But if it's not 48 hours, probably not many folks know about it. Yeah, it's it's not the uh, it's not the big uh, popular general audience film, you know, that sort of hit bigger mainstream audiences. Yeah, it's the type of film guys like us know about. Yeah, you know, it, it's the kind of the kind of movie that we tell people that like, oh, Walter Hill, the guy that directed Forty Eight Hours, are like, yeah, but have you seen the fucking Warriors? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> we'll tell you about the good shit. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah you, 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 this is one that if you know it, and this this is probably I, again, it's hard to remember. It's 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 all it's all a cloud of 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 Coney here, to where I can't really recall introduced me to the film but i feel it's our job <laughs> as cinema people to say hey man have you seen the warriors you want to have a real good time with the movie and you know because i i feel that this movie because they use real new york city streets and real new york city ghettos in this movie and they had bricks thrown at them the filmmaker had bricks thrown at them by people around and, and galakhan's trouble stuff like that. so this captures you know that part of new york city in such a way except for i don't really don't believe believe but again again we don't know what 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 year this is but the post-apocalyptic coney island at the end well all all fucked up you know (laughs) it's not it's not so much post-apocalypse as it's is i i sort of write it i've always sort of write it as it's a near future dystopia Mm -hmm. because you know the 1970s you know there's a thing about the movies in the 1970s that film new york right or you know any kind of like major city that had like crime problems and poverty problems in the 1970s uh you know the urban decay is right there on the on the screen right and so, and then of course you also have these undercurrents of uh distrust of government distrust of any other sort of local authorities including the police so I mean, it's right there in front of you. It feels like a dystopia is actually happening. So it's very easy to set a film in that sort of setting where it's, oh, yeah, this is, you know, a few years in the future, like 1980-something, you know, and this is now run-down New York. This is New York just before it becomes, you know, like, uh, you know, it becomes the New York of Escape from New York, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) This is like in the years, you know, two years before Mad Max territory hits in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But the beautiful thing about this movie is that New York is a character. It's a character Mm -hmm. of the movie. Without without the city, the movie, I I don't think, would work. I don't think it would have worked if you would have set it in, you know, Miami Beach or, (laughs) you know, or something like L.A. It it only works because it's New York. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and the gangs are stylized after, you know, different, like, racial and cultural groups and, you know, just the boroughs themselves, I guess. Kind of, you know, just, you know, Italians and you got like skinheads and you got different blacks and Puerto Ricans and, uh, 
just, just and, you know, and then they're, you know, you just got these white boy gangs too, like, you know, like the, these fucking disco punks on the ro- roller skates and shit. And, um, like it, it's, it's just got a real presence that you wouldn't be able to pull from any other sort of city at that time. I feel like, yeah, the scene with the roller skating punks and, and, and the overalls. <laughs> that fight scene is is one of my favorite scenes in any movie. Oh yeah, I love it. And it's great. From from a wrestler's uh, you know point of view, I, I, I wrestling fans' point of view, um, they do like a back body drop in that bathroom scene. Yeah, that, yeah. that beats right. the band. Man, it's delightful. Only one I like better is the one in Prince of Darkness, where it <laughs> does the same thing but flips them out the window. You oh, know, yeah, but, yeah, um, where he flips them out into the alleyway. Right, yep. right. Yeah, this, 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 that scene, the, the fight, the fights in the movie. I mean, to get to where they're going, you know, with the exception of the orphans, who are just a bunch of cockeyed bitches, but um, mm, a bunch of wimps, the just of wimps. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, they read about our raids in the paper. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, you, uh, your guidance counselor told us about it. It's really tough. Oh man. Yeah. Like <laughs> fuck, man. I mean, it, it's got a good sense of humor. Like, uh, you know, speaking of Carpenter, their uh, Prince of uh, Darkness, um, there really is kind of, I feel like, a touch John Carpenter in this. You know, very Assault on Precinct 13 in a way. Um, just in just in the way, you know, the, the sort of the gang violence is, uh, is prevalent and, you know, just the size of the gangs and stuff. Uh, you know, this just... Movies a bit lighter toned than Assault on Precinct 13, where you know little girls getting shot, getting her ice yes. cream, you know, the sort of thing. But um, and, and and to think of the Warriors being lighter fare as compared yeah. to that movie is, is is ridiculous when you think about it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> the the score itself, though, you know, it reminds me of my favorite Carpenter score, which is Assault on Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. And when I tell people that aren't as, as versed at all in John Carpenter stuff, they'll say, oh, what's Assault on Precinct 13? Another time where you take someone by the arm and you say, well, let's go watch a good movie, you yeah. know, with probably the best Carpenter score that's ever Carpentered, I, mm. in, my, in my opinion. You know, I love it. And this is kind of like an amped up, like a, like a, a more funkier version of that, mm-hmm. especially the and- opening theme. You know. And then, yeah, and then, you know, and it's so it's it's got the it's got the synth stuff, the eighty synth stuff, and and some really you know funky uh, and uh, cool stuff that you can dance to and shit. And then you you've got some you know pop songs spaced in between it too. And and my favorite bit one is the um, <clears throat> uh, the dude from the Eagles uh, in the city. Yeah, in the city. Um, Joe Walsh. I'm sorry. Joe Walsh. Yeah, like. Uh, that's that's one of the things that re- I really hold up in this film too. Uh, uh, one of my favorite things is I just like the feel that the ending has. Like it, it's one of those it's one of those endings where that mu- that music hits and they're just walking down the beach and like I get goosebumps. Uh, I, I just I love like I, I rewatch that like on YouTube and shit all the time just when I want to feel a little bit better about myself because I really like that ending. Yeah, because the end goal if you don't have the plot to the Warriors. You know this big guy Cyrus, who's the leader of this ba- gang called the Gram- the band. This gang called the Gramercy Riffs, who's the biggest gang in the city, as they say. He's the one and only. You know all that good stuff that they talk about in the the opening train ride, just describing how big and which they build them up really good. 
to say this, a, this is the man in the city. I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt that. I, I did want to mention that. That's that's a great montage. Like it's it's during the opening credits. So it's 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 cuts between the warriors' trip to this meetup and as well as the individual conversations between the warriors about the Cyrus guy and what he's all about. And like, should we trust this? Should we even be going to this fucking thing? Like it's only nine of us and we're not carrying any guns. Like, what are we doing here? And, and it just, it does set up all you need to know of the backstory. And it's, it's very well done. It's just a really nice little piece of business from Walter Hill there. Yeah. And it, and it tells you everything you need to know about every character or every member of the gang. Mm-hmm. You know, from Ajax to, to you know, uh, Michael Beck, you know, Swan's character. You know, you you just know what they're all about. You know that Ajax is going to be nothing but trouble. Yeah. <laughs> from, like, right off the bat. He's the wild card. You need that wild card, baby. Come on now, you know. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the horny homophobe. That's, uh... <laughs> that's a good point. That's exactly a note that I had in my papers here. But I'm like, Ajax, the horny homophobe. <laughs> I, I still use the term strange wool, though, I got to say. you know, <laughs> strange wool, if you don't know what that means, that's what Ajax is referring to as vagina, just getting some getting some tail, so, you know. Because mm-hmm. he ain't going through that back door. He, he, he says it constantly. What are you going, faggot? I don't want to use that word, but this is the word that he uses. You know, yeah. and he uses yeah. that term, that same term, like several times. It's like it's so goddamn cringeworthy. Is this like, oh come on, Remar? You know, mm. he's an actor playing a role. It's the seventies. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm not making excuses for the use of the word. You know, but but I th- it is I a think, word that people use. You know, I think I think the movie makes it pretty clear that he's a fucking asshole for saying it, and you're yes. not supposed to like this guy. So you know. Oh yeah, he's a prick. He's a prick. You you root for him, you know, here and there, but like he's especially yeah, especially when you consider like, am am I wrong in thinking this that a Rembrandt is actually is gay? I think he's meant to be. I think I think if you read the book, he's either going that way or he is. You know, Mm -hmm. because the whole time when you know, I'm just jumping the points of the movie because if you haven't seen the film, I'm sorry, heavy spoilers are about. Mm-hmm. Eventually, when some of the boys get to Union Square, they follow the Lizzies, you know, and they think, hey, let's get some action. But Rembrandt is also always the cautious one. Vermin is always the scared one. We're going to get jabbed. We're going to get jabbed. You know, <laughs> you know right? <laughs> so they all have their personalities, and Rembrandt's always the cautious one. And he's just the guy with the spray can. He's <laughs> kind of like the mascot of the Warriors, you know. Mm-hmm. The only reason like why he was. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say that I felt like Rembrandt was like a guy that was fresh in the gang, like he was like just being had been initiated because he was always kind of being directed by everybody and uh-huh. being like directed and protected, like hey, you know where's he at? We got to keep an eye on him, you know. <laughs> yeah, was, you know, kind and of just it, new to the group. And his He's only is yeah, his only task seems to be you're the guy who who leaves our tag wherever we go, kind of thing, yeah. you know. He does it multiple times during the movie. He, he leaves that, that that Warriors W, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's the cautious one. And you know, there's there's some you know, Swan is kind of like your, he's kind of like a mix between, I guess, like the responsible one and has a little bit of Ajax in him because he he has that that side of him that that says, hey, I'll get some action when I want it, but at the same time, you know, let's get serious here and get down to business. You know, he he's he's yeah. he's trying he's trying to step up, but he still has like a lot of that fucking gangland 
uh, macho, you know, fucking posturing and mentality going through him too. Like he, he, he's, he's starting to mature and like take the leadership role and shit, but he's, you know, I think the movie kind of makes it clear. He's got a lot to learn. He, he, you know, he, he still disrespects women and shit in a way that he shouldn't be doing. Like he, he treats poor mercy like shit for quite, quite uh, a bit of the runtime of this movie. Yeah. And it takes a little while before he's like, hey, he's like, hey, I was a little rough on you back there. He's like, I apologize. He's a guy who's learning. You know, he's mm-hmm. learned. He's learning his way. Yeah, because, you know, when Cleon is, you know, you don't know if he's alive or dead at that point, because the whole the whole beginning part of the movies are going to have this gang summit and the rogues are there, which is a game, the game that Luther is the leader of mm. Dear Patrick Kelly. And he takes it upon himself to bring a weapon to the thing because he likes that sort of thing, you know. And he yeah. uh, <laughs> he murders Cyrus, and of course, among the crowd, you could say anybody did it in the crowd, screaming, and, and you know, all the amount of people will believe you. He screams, "The Warriors did it! The Warriors did it!" So everybody believes the Warriors did it. And the point of this thing was for them to all get together. If you haven't heard Cyrus's famous speech, you know about you know sixty thousand hardcore members, you know twenty thousand. With, with you know unorganized but refusing to you know they only got twenty thousand cops in the city they can take over the city he yeah. does the whole schmeal and he's got a plan and they all seem to be down with the plan at least the guys that are there except for this one guy that you don't want at your party and he shoots he sh- shoots and kills Cyrus and starts ship for the warriors and then that's when their journey begins and they get chased by everybody. And yeah, got, L- Luther is the turd in the punch bowl at a party. Mm, yeah, <laughs> and I and I gotta I gotta say his it, it's it's very convenient and lucky for his plan that the cops show up just after he shoots Cyrus, because you know it causes enough confusion where he can you know really finger somebody else and like it was the warriors who did it it was the warriors who did it and and fucking because otherwise I kind of feel like there'd be enough people around that would be like, oh shit, this guy right next to me just shot Cyrus. Like, you know, I don't think it would be too hard to figure out, but it's like the cops caused the confusion right after the, uh, the, the gunshot. So it was, it was easy then to pin it on the warriors. I, I feel like, you know, Luther's kind of a, he, he's, he's just this cowardly psychopath who doesn't really think his plans out all too well, very impulsive. So uh, he, he's just kind of like, planning as he goes kind of thing he's he's really kind of a coward too because there's Mm. he's kind of crazy but at the same time especially in the end when you know he he gets found out you know because there's there's always that snitch and that's why those cops are there. there's always that snitch that's going to tell out of it you know Mm. somebody those cops is rolled up ready to start some some problems of course and because you just have all these guys and i oh i just remember now (laughs) what introduced me to the warriors you guys think it's so fucking funny you guys remember the Double Dragon uh, um, movie? Yeah. Mark Dacascos? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Robert Patrick and shit. I don't hate Milano. this. Yeah, I don't hate this film, okay? It's really stupid. It's not the Warriors, but there's a speech that Michael Berryman gives in the movie. Mm. And he's one of, the, one of the members of the gangs. And he's doing this whole spiel. Like he's, you know, because Robert Patrick wants to unite the gangs. Yeah. And he's not with it. So Robert Patrick kills Michael Behrman, you know? Yeah. But uh, that's that's what turned me on, because somebody told me that's like this movie, The Warriors, you know, especially like them being chased by the various gangs in the movie. And I said, let me watch this movie, The Warriors. So 
that video game adaptation movie is to blame for my love for the Warriors. And so I thank you, Double Dragon, the movie. Uh, yeah. Throw it out there, you know. <laughs> Speaking of video game adaptations, this movie had a video game adaptation that I played the shit out of. It's awesome. PlayStation 2. It's a great game. And they got most of the, the actors, most of them to come back and do uh, voice work for it, which I thought was yes. pretty awesome. You can actually, there, there's videos on YouTube. You can just watch the cinematic pieces and then and some people turned it into a whole movie on its own that game that that game had a party mode though you had four guys going at once though you you and your friends Mm -hmm. get together get drunk and play as the warriors yeah nothing's more nothing's more fun than taking a couple bongas and drinking some some everclear and playing (laughs) the warriors with your friends you can literally play the warriors with your friends on the on the screen and i may have done almost I may have done almost exactly that at a couple of times in my life. <laughs> I can pretty much guarantee goddamn to you. Uh. Who, would, who wouldn't want to do that? And, you know, the gameplay in the game, and it's probably something we should mention towards the end, but fuck it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so true to, true, true, to the, true to the movie, and they add stuff to it. And the only real hiccup with the thing was that Roger Hill, the guy who played Cyrus, he sued them for likeness rights and... Uh-huh. Never got paid before he died. I guess they bought like the rights to the movie and everything involved in it, as far oh. as like a video game goes. So he wasn't technically owed anything. Yeah. But he he was looking for that money until he died, and he uh, unfortunately is no longer one of the one of the actors that are no longer with us. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> sucks. I know. Um. Yeah, there's some pretty cool facts that I, I we found out on Mike White's show, including the fact that uh. David Mikos, no, Terry, Terry Mikos, I mean, the guy who played Vermin, uh, was originally going to be played by Tony Danza. But Tony uh-huh. Danza, yeah, Tony Danza got Taxi instead. And uh, so Terry Mikos was was cast instead. He was like one of the three guys that there was chosen to be the, the character. And um, God, where would this have taken Tony Danza's career? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Angela, uh, Angela like... I swear, I swear, Angela. <laughs> But didn't Robert De Niro get offered a part? I don't know which part, but I know he got offered something and he turned it down. I think it might have been uh, might have been Cowboy. Oh, okay. I remember. I, really? I, I read it somewhere. I, I can't remember a hundred percent. Even that would, that, you know, that would have been that, something else. Even like, how old was De Niro at that point? Like, oh shit, I have no idea. Even late thirties. Late, late yeah, even then he'd, he'd feel he'd feel a bit old for for that. I think, but. That had to have been about like uh, you know uh, the Raging Bull stage at least. Yeah, really, I mean, like a couple years before. I guess he could probably pull off of like if if he was still in Raging Bull shape or whatever, you know, uh, he could probably pull off the physique and maybe sell being younger. But like all all these guys, they they feel like they're just early twenties at the most. Like they probably just would have wrote it off, you know. But like this this dude's just really strung out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! Yeah, this this is pretty neat here, though. Yeah, the actors playing the Warriors bonded earlier in the shoot, on and off the set. Uh, you can you can listen to that again. And Mike White shall keep pushing that until the fucking day is long. Originally, the character of Foss was supposed to end up with Mercy, while Swan was captured by a rival homosexual gang known as the Dingoes, only yeah. to escape later. However, Hill, however, Hill watched the day and realized that Beck and Van Valkenburg had great chemistry. The script is rewritten, and their characters ended up together. And I think it's pretty natural, you know, because she's kind of like that girl that, I guess, escaped from the orphans that's hanging mm. around with them. And in the book, they literally run a train on her. So there, there's there's that in the book. Ooh. 
So there, there's it's the book is a little bit more hardcore than the movie is, and um, she's she's it's a little bit, yeah. yeah. She she looks she looks to be like a like a cross between like uh, Rosario Dawson and Karen Allen, which is is like yeah that all that works, all that works for me. <laughs> With like a dash of like Isabella Rossellini in there, mm. you know, those eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the rose car was a 1955 Cadillac hearse, and I I love that. Uh, mm-hmm. Originally at the uh, originally at the Coney Island confrontation at the end of the film, actor David Patrick Kelly wanted to use two dead pigeons, but Hill did not think that would work. Instead, Kelly improvised by clinking three bottles in his right hand and ad-libbing the famous line, Warriors, come out mm-hmm. to play! Uh, Kelly was influenced by a man who he knew in downtown New York who would make fun of him, like, heckle him, you know, oh. by saying stuff like that. So he took a cue from him and uh, d- did did that just the same. And uh, I think, you know, the look of him, you know, I don't know why, he has to be, like, high on drugs, this character, because... This is the most strung out, like he's been out all night. And you think, you know, as angry as he was, that mm. <laughs> the Warriors had wronged him in some way during this movie. But the whole time, they're running from other gangs. And they're just kind of like saying, hey, we better catch these Warriors before they go tell Cyrus about something. But they all think they did it anyway. And somebody else ends up telling on him anyway. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, as it is, there's always a snitch bitch somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. But you wouldn't get the end you got, you know, with the the, the, and the ending is is pretty like satisfying, you know, when they had that. You you expect there to be a big, you know, another big gang fight to end it off with, but there's not. And in mm-hmm. in, in any other movie, I feel like that would have been like a disappointing angle. But I'd like that quick little face off, you know, bringing a knife to a gunfight, and it does to prove you sometimes a knife can win a gunfight because mm-hmm. you know. Swan fucking nails him with that knife, and it, when when uh, Luther goes down, when David Patrick Kelly goes down, he instantly just you know he cries. He he doesn't just yeah. scream; he cries. It's so great. Feels feels like uh, Hill was, especially considering one of the movies he does later on in his career. Feels like he was cribbing from uh, Yo Jimbo there because you know there's a similar scene where the Shiro Mifune. Um, throws a uh throws a knife at the gun wielding uh a foe at the end there is his main rival he you know he, he just he's just walking up to him without anything you know his his hands in his in his fucking kimono no swords drawn or nothing and the guy's pointing his gun and he's about to shoot and then Tashira just pulls a throwing knife and and gets him right in the arm with it so if if uh, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure he hill was like yeah i'm gonna use that and so it's 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 more of it's more of a gunfighter uh, thing real quick, real done, and then you know, uh, uh, Luther and his his boys they get their comeuppance off screen. Yeah, they're, they're gonna get stomped, obviously, especially especially Luther, mm-hmm. and uh, because the other ones kind of seem again, I forget his buddy's name, Luther's buddy, like his his second hand man that you always see, uh, especially that hilarious scene at that at the the newsstand where he throws the candy bar back at the girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, he, he seems gonna like pay he, for what? What's yeah. he gonna pay for? Yeah, <laughs> he's like the cautious one. He's kind of like the Rembrandt of the group, who's afraid of every. No, he's like the Berman of the group, who's afraid of everything. And that that guy don't care. He's just like being more and more awake. I imagine on some uppers of some kind, because he's just strung out by the end of this movie. And um, I love that they, they both had that kind of deal, and we really didn't get dig, dig in too much of the fights, you know. But the the the. The most iconic one. If you don't never seen the movie in your life, you you know what the baseball furies look like, and yeah. 
it it is um it's shot beautifully. This is all this is all with the exception of a, a little bit of stuff in the city. This is all shot in the and um that run through the park where they finally decide to stop with it. The, the sicker running from these punks, mm-hmm. you know. When they get down to business, you know, they don't have yeah. bats, but they get bats. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. They yeah, take no. their shit. They just straight up beat the hell out of them and steal their shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the Warriors, like, you know, the Warriors actually show that they're fucking tough as shit. Like, they, they're, they're going to try to, you know, avoid as many fights as possible when they're trying to get back to Coney Island or whatever. Because, you know, the more they slow down, the worse it's going to be for them. But when it comes down to it, when they got to go one on one and bop, quote unquote, with another fucking gang, uh, they're tough motherfuckers that shouldn't be fucked with. And when you get to the end there and the the second, you know, the the guy taking over for Cyrus or whatever, you know, says, uh, you warriors are pretty good. And Swan just looks at him and goes, we're the fucking best. Like, we're we're the best motherfucker. Uh, Yeah. And they prove it. They prove it every mm -hmm. step of the way. Yep. Yeah, you mentioned the tunes. I mean, my, my favorite version of Nowhere to Run is in this movie. You know what's happened there. I don't know if it's a combination of the montage, because it's a great montage of all the gangs, you know, getting ready to go fuck up the Warriors, and the baseball furies, are they're, they're, they're all examining their bats. Like, a, yeah, this weight feels good to, to pop somebody's head open with. Yeah. You know, and uh, <laughs> um, that version, um, Love is a Fire, is is a song that that plays in the Liz's apartment. We have a jukebox. I think I always thought it was amazing. People have jukeboxes inside their houses, and mm. they probably stole that from the diner down the street or some shit. And, uh, <laughs> right. But you know them dancing, and it 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 leads up to something great because Rembrandt's watching the whole show and watching what they're doing and being cautious of everything, and he sees that they're gonna start some shit. Like these yeah. girls, these girls are a little bit too much into you, Vermin. You're you're kind of doughy, brother. You know, uh, but yeah, they don't like they ain't digging the dad vibe that much, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> no, then there's you know, you even get like shots of like two of the two of the Lizzie's. There's obviously some like a little bit of hurt feelings and jealousy between them, you know, because one of them has to, you know, play straight, you know, making out with this dude just to, to lure them in, too. So there, there's like there's these nice little subtle things that Hill puts in this mostly surface level film, you know, um, like another one I'll, I'll mention that I think is a really great moment in this film is when Swan and Mercy get on the train together. And then you have the two couples that have obviously just got out of like the, the prom dance or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck. Right. Yep. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And it just shows like, a, it, it's just like a really good little statement of the world they're living in. There's this other world outside of the world they're living in, and there's this big class divide, and they're sitting, you know, right uh, across from each other. They're just separated by the pathway in the uh, in the subway car, and you know, Mercy sees the girls, and they're you know they're all done up and looking good, and she tries to like you know brush her hair back or whatever to try to compete, and Swan just grabs her hand and stops her from doing it. It's like no fuck fuck that shit. They ain't any better. Than I like, us. like you just the way you are for mm-hmm. now. For now. Yep. <laughs> you know, and like you can see, like he's she's looking at you know the, the girl's pretty white dress and her perfect shoes. She looks down and her legs are all you know scratched up and you know yeah. her feet feet are dirty and she she probably feeling you know a little inadequate at that point. But mm-hmm. I kind of like I like the fact that the the part you mentioned where Swan just takes her hand is just kind of like nah nah you, you're you be be happy be happy mm-hmm. you're you. We we tore your 
dress and you're you got a nice jacket that you stole and you know you, you be you you know mm-hmm. that that hot pink satin shirt she had on oh my god it's it's, it's barely a shirt it's like <laughs> she might as well be topless the entire movie it's it's, oh. it's like so tight i i referred to her on on, uh, on court show to having sad boobs because let, let me tell you that girl wasn't wearing a bra in the movie and they were just kind of like laying there for you to look at you know <laughs> <laughs> like the orphan just got done you know as she says friday nights are good saturday nights are better you know it's so, <laughs> um, right right yeah so she she's been around the block before and she looks it with this outfit on and uh mm-hmm. yeah but that scene though alone in the, the court when they leave the corsage behind and he gives it to her you know i don't like anything to go to waste that line and that's kind of his way of saying you know that we're we're kind of all right now. Even though I treat you to like shit, like most of this this journey, but he he slowly becomes her protector. I think it starts at the union the union square thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to mix it up with the roller skating guys. He 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 shoves her into the men's room with the rest of them, and she goes, oh, "This yeah. is the men's room." He's like, "Are you with the you kidding or something like that?" They say she initially becomes one of them. She's yeah. she's there to be protect, protected by them because at that point they don't want nothing to happen to her. And to and, her credit, she doesn't want to be protected. She wants yeah. to fight too. So well, yeah, and she, she and she does fight. You know, she does she get does, it in. Yeah, she she bites. She kicks and scratches and bites these guys. I mean, she's not just standing there, just like she ain't a victim. She's far from it. Yeah, yeah, she's not damsel in distress, and that's one of the one of the big the big things I'll give about this character is that she never she never really loses her independence to where say. Ooh, a man's gonna take me under his wing and gonna. Well, she's looking for a real man because the, the guy with the cockeye didn't seem like he was doing the job. Or, <laughs> right. His, well, I think his, she his, was. She was attracted to the Swan right off the bat because she realized, okay, this guy's an alpha. And you're like, I like this guy. You know, like, well, yeah, because right, right away, you know, when they meet the orphans, you know, they're, they're friends. But at the same time, you know, when they tell them, and when they tell them after, of course, Mercy comes out and just starts some shit. <laughs> then, troublemaker. If you take off your colors, you know you can walk through, and they're not—they're not down for that at all, no. because they can tell that the warrior, that that the orphans are some weak shit, and that they need to throw down. They can throw down. So, uh what's what's the fox say? Something about we're not going to change who we are. Just some horse, because some, some horse shakes her ass or something like that, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. She's like, I, I ain't think, no whore. I ain't no I whore. Ain't no, <laughs> I ain't no whore, man. She's 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 not like during the time you spend with her because nobody gets it in except in the book they definitely get it in and I'm kind of glad they left that part out. Mm. Like yeah, those people yeah, talk too. about the the scene in it where they run a train on Beverly. Oh, that's not in the movie. Oof. Why would it? Why would it be in the movie? Okay, you want to watch that, idiot? Huh? You know, there's there's <laughs> no way you there's no way you can put it in the in the movie and there's no way I'd want to see it in the fucking movie. So. They they, yeah. they left it out for a reason twice. Mm-hmm. Okay, get over it. You know. It's like they left this out of the reason, out of the, out of the script, because you know, uh, Walter Hill didn't make many changes to the script, but he made that change to the script that Mercy and and and, and um, Swan were going to be together, and I think it, it works to the film's detriment, and it works so well. And um, yeah, there's some more goodies here. Uh, this is made with his producing partner Lawrence Gordon once again. Uh, they wanted to make a western, but since um. Ba, 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 like the youth films were like a uh, hot time. I think the mm-hmm. Wanderers came out like right after this, right before this, and yeah. it, was, it was it was a minor hit. And um, they they went that route, and they they could do it cheaply because they're doing 
they're not using many sets of this movie. So they, they, it was very accelerated, uh, film schedule. And, um, I think yeah. they, uh, what I remember reading that the only set was the, the, the bathroom, the bathroom sequence. That's about it. Yeah. Makes it's, sense. it's pretty much all New York. I passed that right, right down to union square. And I did a review with, uh, your, 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 uh, podcasting partner, Lee, and we talk about how the Wiz dressed up Union Square looked just like it, but like in a more cartoon version of it. And mm. it was pretty beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, I mentioned the, 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 the Tom Waits thing, that, that that was a thing. And I, I see some nice signed pictures by Tom Waits from, from a private dealer I know. And so I know he's signing Warrior stuff and putting nice quotes on there. So maybe he's come to terms with, you know, his 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 role in the film and, you know, grew up a little bit, I guess, mm, you know, oh, you know, money, uh, you know, uh, fandom residuals from cons and stuff like that can cure a lot of wounds, you know, heal, right. heal a lot of wounds. That's yeah. your retirement plan when you get to be their age. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, and plus, you know, cult status caught up with the film. I mean, I mean, people, it's like a lot of folks, I mean, a lot, a lot of movies that are out there that are, that are big to us mm-hmm. didn't, didn't do all that well. Like, pick a Carpenter film that you love. Yeah, pick, yeah. Pick big, pick big Trouble in Little China. Pick the thing. They were not hits, but mm-hmm. they became they became beloved to people. This film became beloved to people because by by word of mouth and by just you know seeing inspirations from other things and you know ignore the of course the Roger Ebert review because he hated this movie. The studio hated this movie. But, you know, it comes down to the people. Mm. Ebert did go on, like, and Ebert has a, had a tendency to do this. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of his early reviews were very snootish and cynical and reactionary and, and kind of like, I'm too good for this. And he mellowed a lot in his later years. Like, you'd often see him, like, uh, reassess some of the films he watched. And he had some good things to say about this in a... And I think in a review of another Walter Hill film that he was doing at some point, uh, I seem to recall. So he lightened up a little bit on this. Uh, as far as Siskel, who knows? But because uh, Siskel yeah. really hated this film. But uh, yeah, one's one star out of four, apparently. Mm-hmm. You know, Ouch. likening the dialogue that that Harvey Lembeck and those silly '60s motorcycle pictures, and concluding, you would think after watching the Warriors that gang membership was a victimless crime. Save for the occasional sadist who pops up a comic relief. This film is a romantic lie. It's a fucking cartoon of a gang movie. I will agree. Yeah. You know, because you gang gangs, you know, they, they don't they don't chase people down. Gangs in in, in in Chicago shoot poorly and kill the wrong people, okay? I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put it that way. I don't want to bring up gun violence on this show, but it's a thing in, in, in around this area around big cities and this is a, a a highly stylized version of what a cartoon would think gangs would be and mm-hmm. it's damn if you don't see it that way you know uh it's damn enjoyable it, it, it gets marred you know when it came out you know a lot a lot of gang members w- would go in the theaters and go watch it and they would see the, the the guy they don't like and they would start fights in 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 the movie theater with with these people that that could either be exacerbated by by, by uh, the Warriors be, being on the screen or have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with it all, but except the fact that they hate each other. You know, these, these these two rival gangs or four rival gangs or whoever's in the theater at the time, you know. Yeah. 
But yeah, they, it, it gets that press, and then you know it says it's kind of like Clockwork Orange was banned in was banned places because they said it inspired violence. That could be very true, but at the same time, what are the mental capacity of those violent people? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. they're 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 going to find a place to do it either way. Like it's, I mean, if you're able to be pushed over the edge by, in a violent manner by anything the a song or a movie or a book has to say, then you're probably pretty fucking unstable to begin with. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not I'm not condoning rape. It's a very, very, very terrible thing. I'm not condoning violence unless, you know, violence is being done to you and you feel the need to defend yourself. But, you know, this this is a cartoon. And mm-hmm. that, that should be said that, that, you know, a highly stylized action movie should never be mistaken for real life. Because yeah, and- it's not, you know? And uh, like just just the idea that like someone like Siskel would say that, you know, it's the opposite just goes to show like how out of touch and in a bubble he was at that point, like talking about films that way. Like, seriously, like it, it almost sounds like there's an agenda behind it. And like if you're doing that, then your review is pretty much worthless at that point. Like um, I, I don't need I don't need holier than thou uh, uh, crusaders trying to, you know, spin the review into some sort of, uh, you know, rallying call for, uh, you know, moral majority or some shit. You know, it's just it's it's bloody fucking ridiculous. Um, And then, you know, the irony, although this is a cult film and, you know, you say comparing it to like Carpenter, where most of his stuff didn't make money, um, this actually did do fairly well. It's just it didn't catch on like 48 hours like we said before kind of thing uh, 48 hours made Eddie murphy a star i mean he, mm-hmm. was, he was already kind of a star on snl but you know he became a box office draw at that point which right. is why people know what 48 hours is because that's like the first huge thing that he did yeah. oh yeah it was his first real you know fucking huge feature film i mean he, he like i said he was still huge on snl but that made him like legit hollywood yeah oh uh, this this is a good thing to add to the other thing uh Walter Hill reflected uh, la- la- later uh, what what made what made a success with young people is that for the first time somebody made a film within Hollywood, big distribution that took the gang situation, did not present it as social as a, as a social problem, presented them as a neutral or positive aspect of their lives. As soon as you said in the old days, gang movies is it was how do we, how how do we cure the pestilence and how do we fix the social waste? We want to take these kids, make sure they go to college. This was just a movie that conceptually was different, accepted the idea of the gang, didn't question it. It was that was their lives. They functioned within that context. And the social problem weren't that they were not going to college, but they were going to survive. It's the great Hawksian dictum, which he's referring to Howard Hawks. Mm -hmm. Where is the where is the drama? Will he live or die? That's the drama. Uh, Hollywood forgives you for Hollywood forgives a lot, a lot when you have a hit, he added. I don't know what to say about it other than the fact that it was a term. It was a gift in of t- in terms of getting it. The studio hated it and uh, didn't want to release it. There was a lot of friction with with management at the time. Some of it may, may have been my fault. You know, when you got a film like this, and it, it, it's you can't please everybody. Okay, that's yeah. what I'll say about this film. There's no boobs. There's barely any blood in this movie. It's just violence, and it's not for the sake of violence. It's for the sake of survival. Because even when 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 they're trying to get away, they're never trying to fight anybody. Yeah. But when it, when it's time for them to throw down, which is often in this film, 
but that's only because they're being pursued by everybody. They're not saying, okay, you know, just go beat the shit out of people, go beat up a little old lady on the street. They're saying that we're, 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 we're eight guys, you know, because <laughs> the fox gets thrown over, gets thrown over to a train, uh, are being chased by all these men. And you know what? They're, they're aimed to kill us. So it's, it's our, our, our job as, as, as you know, a, a crew, a group of friends to protect each other and to get home. And that's yeah. what the whole point of the movie is. It's not the point of them just beating the shit out of people. They're trying to survive. And that's, that's an important thing to remember about this movie. It's almost a road trip film, you know, but it's mm. on foot. It's on foot, you know. It's just them trying to get from point A to point B. They're trying to get from the Bronx to, you know, they, they need to get to Coney Island. That's their turf. They're, they're just a group of guys trying to get home. Yeah, the, the difference, you know, between this and like a, a 60s or 70s biker movie or whatever, that's an exploitation movie that's, you know, preying on the the headlines of, you know, outlaw bikers doing crimes and stuff like you, you don't get any of that from the Warriors. You just accept the reality that the Warriors are a gang because they need each other and they need to do this to survive. And you, you don't see them, you know, perpetrating crimes and violence upon innocent people and shit like that. Like they're just they're just trying to get home. So it, 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 it you know, it doesn't like it, this movie easily could have just been an exploitation picture. Like it, 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 it could have really, you know, just played on those those sort of aspects, but it doesn't do it at all. So uh, it's it's what makes it different. I mean, I'm not saying that the rogues or the Turnbull ACs wouldn't go, you know, smash oh. up an old lady on in Manhattan, but that's not shown on screen either. Your, mm. your biggest, your biggest cinematic, you know, I guess problem in this movie is Ajax, but it's it's he's set up to be the guy that's going to be a foil by by the time his character leaves us, which is him hitting on and trying to literally groping uh, and uh, he but he didn't know an undercover police officer and yeah. her chaining him to the bench to get arrested you know right mm-hmm. right so Can't he's gonna so, to the bench that was so, great so ajax is gonna get his yeah. you know eventually and he's going to do that show but he's gonna get his you know he's gonna get his he's gonna get bopped you know he's gonna get <laughs> the thumped around on the head by the cops like, and he's going to get arrested. He may even be killed and dumped in a, you know, a dumpster somewhere. He, mm-hmm. may, he may get raped by some random dudes, you know, and say, God, I've become the thing I hate, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. We, we talked a lot about this movie. We, we spoiled some of it, but if you haven't seen the warriors, you know, grab you, grab a friend, grab six friends who've never seen the warriors and uh, grab nine friends. You guys can get all. Yeah, together. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, watch watch the movie together, man. I mean, you, you'll enjoy yourself, I think. Like I said, if you, if you take to heart all the stuff we're saying about not taking it seriously, because there is social commentary in here, but there is not social commentary in here. If we're talking about the social commentary, the actual gang situation will be here for hours and hours and hours, and Daniel would have to come on the show and tell us all about it, because that would be right up Daniel's alley. <clears throat> I'll tell well. you right now. Well, if any of the gangs in this are white supremacists, then it definitely would. You know? Well, the Turnbulls might be. I mean, they, they might they would, be. They they had skinheads and they wore a lot of denim. Um, they're, so maybe they're, they're, they're Canadian white supremacists. They're they're, they're certain. Yeah, they're certainly close to the Baldies, who we'll be talking about sometime soon too. Oh but. boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think about Baldies. I think about that perv at sleepaway camp. That's the wrong movie, though. <laughs> that that's it's a totally different thing. Yeah, that's, that's a totally different kind of Baldy. We're, we're yeah. That's a that's just fucking nasty. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh well, I forgot we didn't mention her. But why? Why wouldn't we? You know, the voice of the Warriors, Lynn Thigpen, 
who I knew as the chief from Carmen San Diego, you know, for for a lot of years, <laughs> doing Rockapella. But she she is she is the voice of of uh she's the DJ who's narrating their entire journey because she she knows they're after the Warriors and you know they're rounding third and headed for home. I can't do the voice, but you know what mm. I'm saying. You guys have all heard the iconic voice. If you don't know the movie, you know you see those beautiful lips. You know go towards the microphone and all right, Bobas. You know mm-hmm. I'm looking for a crew with the ear to the ground or some shit like that. As she says, there's so many great lines she says and. The line it's, where the baseball theories have dropped the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of it like reminds me a bit of like the you know a, a little bit like the um, the DJ in uh, Vanishing Point. It's yeah, kind yes. of like nar- narrating their their journey. The Cleavon Little played. Yeah, Cleavon yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah, that's a good point. They're they're just as iconic and just a big character in the movie. I mean, like I said, if you don't know if you don't know the movie. Odds are you've you've heard her speak, you know, the lines from this movie, and they're, they're, it's just as iconic as the movie itself, I think, because such mm-hmm. an such an important part that that little bit of narration that you get and of stuff you just saw, but you don't care, man, because that voice is so smooth, and you know, she's given the play by play, and mm-hmm. it's so it's, it's so it's so fucking special. It's diegetic narration, like that's. Uh... <laughs> It's kind of like, uh, you know, like uh, the Stevie Wang character in the Danger and Barbeau plays in The Fog. Yes. This, that sexy, sexy narration that, you know, you don't mind it's there. Mm-hmm. Just, just waiting for that pervy man to come to the station to try to get some, you know. <laughs> Goddamn ciphers. Bad ciphers. Ciphers can get it in, though, man. I, I, I see him as being like that. I've seen him as an older gentleman. He seems like to be like that cute old man that the young girls would hit on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Things that make you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, know, I know. I didn't mention David Patrick Kelly again. As, as Luther, he shows that he'll show up later on in other Walter Hill films, including Forty Eight Hours, which you mentioned already. Um, playing Luther yet, playing yet Luther again, yet again, mm-hmm. but a different Luther. <laughs> a different Luther, different kind of Luther. He's doing a he's doing a Dick Miller or Walter Paisley. You know. Could be. That'd be a question to ask if I ever got to meet him. Be a damn good question to ask him. You know, is it a Walter Paisley thing? Because I'd really like to know. You know. Yeah. I said, like, "What do you mean by that? You know, you know, Dick Miller, man, that guy, Dick Miller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that guy, guy that's in everything." <laughs> um, we'll 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 not end it here, but I'm gonna kick it to Cameron first. Any final thoughts or any? Final anything on the Warriors, man. Let, let, let it out, sir. Oh, gosh. I don't know what I could add that we haven't already uh, covered uh, thus far. Um, I think the MVP of this this movie is David Patrick Kelly. He sells it. He's mm. he's this slimy. He's skeezy. He's hopped up. I mean, the Luther character is the character I remember the most. Uh, it's got some great lines of dialogue. I mean, Warriors come out and play. I'll, t- I'll shove that baseball bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle. You know, just lines like that that are just fucking ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a live-action comic book. And, you know, for those of you who know, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't know, God, you just please go out and see this movie and educate yourself. If, you, if you're, you know, it's quintessential Hill. It's, mm-hmm. I think this is where he was hitting his stride. You know, three films in, and he knew who he was and what he wanted. Um, it's it's great, and I love Deborah. I love love her as Mercy. She she was uh, she was my girl back in the day. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
but uh, yeah, I, I love everything about this movie. This is uh, we're we doing our ratings yet, or we're saving that. Um, I think we're we're, we're so. I mean, do do we do ratings on this show? I forget. We, uh, we, I, we forgot, got I forgot. I forgot if we did them or I not. I don't think I don't think we do. But um, uh, I'd imagine I'll give it anyway, it. man. This movie's a ten. Damn, like Willis would say, it's a ten. It's a ten. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. This 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 movie. There's there's nothing that I would would change about it. There's nothing I would change about it. It's a perfect film. It's as perfect as perfect can be. Uh, Lee, um, yeah. I mean, if we haven't sold you on this film, then you know, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, uh, we tried our best. Um, you you'll you'll go through life without seeing the Warriors, and you'll be lesser for it. Uh, it's great. <laughs> It's a great fucking film. I mean, I think I still like the driver a little bit better, but that doesn't stop this from being a 10. Um, it's, I mean, it, it's just, you know, Walter Hill's got three great fucking films right out the gate that are pretty much top tier. And the Warriors is bloody fantastic. You should be, if you haven't seen it, you should be going out right now and watching it. You should be listening to us. You should be watching it and enjoying it. And, and if we haven't convinced you to watch watch it or buy it by now, that we're we're not doing our jobs right. Mm-hmm. And if you you have seen it and you also you already know the joys of the Warriors, then you're probably just nodding your heads, going, "Yep, yep, mm-hmm, yep, yep." So there we go. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't see this, but um, apparently Saul Yurka uh, expressed dis- expressed disappointment, you know, because he was afraid that you know. W- that the youth would, would would uprise in some kind of demonic way, and he, you know, just from watching the movie. I mean, I, he was an older gentleman by the time this came out. I mean, the book was written in '65, but Reagan, Reagan loved it. He filmed it at Camp David. You know, oh, wait, really? like, like Ronald, yeah, fucking Ronald, Reagan, Ronald Reagan, yeah. No shit, that, <laughs> I would have not guessed that at all. Call, call but... Michael, call Michael Beck on the phone and tell him that he he, he really enjoyed it. You know, but uh, <laughs> wow. you know. Some presidents notoriously are, you know, famous for not getting films. Like Donald Trump really likes Citizen Kane. Like he really identifies with Citizen Kane as like a hero in that picture. So, <laughs> oh god, how does he feel? Like how does he feel about Daniel Clamp from um from from Gremlins too? <laughs> I don't know. But, uh... well, one of my favorite John Glover's, by the way, because he's so he's such a cartoon in that movie. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, J- Joe and Anthony Russo were working on a, a TV series for Hulu and, and Paramount TV in 2006. Um, still in development from what I hear. Hmm. And, um, but the development has been moved to Netflix apparently, but those guys are doing, mar- doing Marvel stuff now. So who knows where that, that project's at. Well, I would love to, I would love to see that though. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it feels like something that, Netflix might end up picking up again at some point because they're desperate for content now. Like they're they're full on into competing with uh, uh, Disney Plus at this point. So it's like they want to buy anything they can. Like they're throwing every bit of shit to the wall and seeing what sticks. So you're getting series all the time now, right? Well, you know, with that, we I hear Killer Clowns got really popular on Netflix with people, and from what I hear, they're in talks with the Chiodos of making a sequel because they had they. they they had that, and they had that successful little holiday film they made, the little holiday short they made. Right. And they're in real talks to making a new Killer Clowns movie with the Chiodos. That's exciting. I like that. Yeah, I like that's, that that's yeah. So so fandom can really bring about some goodness, people. And I, I hope uh, 
eventually that TV series would come into fruition because I would watch it as long as it's not like, mm. and it being on Netflix, you can go full full bore without a net, without a network. You well can go yeah. as violent yeah. as violent as you want to go, you know. You know, well, you know, I, I fully expect if there isn't like a killer clown series or a new film or whatever that shows up on Netflix, you're going to have about 8,000 million people on Twitter complain about how woke it is now or some shit. Like, <laughs> hey, the clown, man, that that, 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 that yellow gun was a little too phallic for my taste. It's all same mm-hmm. about that one, you know. Dude, half the half the clowns are female now. What the fuck? <laughs> They all I have pink like hair. What the hell? I, I read any of the articles. I, I forget what they're crying about about that new He-Man series, but you know they're crying about something, of course. Oh uh, yeah, you know. they're well. <laughs> first they were crying it was too woke. Now they're just crying that uh, Kevin Smith didn't give away the entire plot of the fucking thing. You know, he he sort of handled like, well, it, it it is a show with He-Man in it, and He-Man's featured prominently. And then they were then they were like the first five episodes. He's just, he's barely in it, so they all start like Kevin. You lied to us. You sell out. You're building a universe, idiots. I'm just gonna throw it out there, okay? Just like the Warriors built built the universe in the first five minutes of the movie, and that's one thing I give Walter Hill forever and ever and ever. That opening montage scene tell you everything you need to know about these people and everything that they were gonna have to go through the first within the first fifteen minutes of this movie. And uh. I love it. I love mm-hmm. to, I, I love it much like Streets of Fire. I love to introduce it to so introduce your friends to the Warriors, please. And uh, it's a ten for me too, since we're, we're we're rating this one, and that that's fine. But uh, uh, this is the point of the show where I ask these guys to push your stuff. Lee Russell, push your stuff, sir. Your podcast. Uh, my podcast is called They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. Uh, you can go to tmbdos.podbean.com. We cover a little bit of everything. We we do everything from like the titular Citizen Kane that I mentioned um, to uh, something that uh, Gary Hill just showed up on in our latest episode, Fly Me from 1973, which is decidedly not Citizen Kane. Uh, but uh, we had a fun discussion about it anyway. So we, we covered the gambit and yeah, you can go over there and, and look for that stuff if you're so inclined. Yeah, film without much, not much of a plot, but heavy on sad boobs so there's that you know <laughs> sad boobs go go fly me it, 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 it's better than citizen kane who knows it might be but i, I kind of well, well honestly i kind of enjoyed it a bit more than citizen kane to tell you the truth. <laughs> well there you go then man uh, to each their own as, as they say um mr cameron cameron uh to tell us um yeah you, you got a movie you're filming you got shows that are insanely insane go for it man Ah, uh, well, uh, just just uh, day four yesterday, we released a new creature feature dinner theater on uh, I Was a Teenage Wear Skunk with me and my wife. That was <laughs> a really fun one to, to visit. Uh, got a couple episodes, a uh, sequel to Deja Vu. One uh, will be uh, dropping tomorrow, you know, uh, be dropping on Wednesday. Uh, I got a new podcast that I'll finally let out of the bag since the first episode is going to drop next week. It's called The Age of Cage. It's an all Nicolas Cage podcast Ooh. where we're going to cover uh, Nicolas Cage movies and, and trivia and whatnot. The first episode is going to be a uh, trailer expectation uh, review for the pig movie that he had that just came out. Oh, nice. So that's going to be the first one. And then we're going to have a, uh, a Con Air in the Rock double feature that will drop here in about two weeks. 
So, but you know, and then we got Grindhouse Pizzeria, still got a couple more of those coming out. One at the end of the month. I got a Howling at the Full Moon dropping it uh, probably sometime next week if I can find time to edit it. Mm. But I'm taking after tomorrow, I'm taking a couple days off. I'm just <laughs> going to relax. <laughs> I feel like I haven't had a chance to uh, recover from, since the film shoot. We just finished uh, Wrapped Principal Photography on Parallels. A movie that shot in uh, in Indiana and, and uh, Tennessee, both, both uh, you know, both legs of that movie was were grueling, but uh, we got it done, and now it's in post production. Hopefully, we'll have a trailer for October. I think it's going to release um, like next spring. Yeah. I'm, I'm not I'm not on the post production side of it, so I'm not quite sure, but that is that is the rumor. Nice, nice. Yeah, you, you know where to find my shows. They're all on Legion, man. Uh, Cinema Beef, this one, Burning for Springwood, two Jake Venom commentaries, anything I do is on Legion. Uh, Blood from the Core is on Legion Patreon. Look for the Q of the Winged Serpent episode, and then look for the Bridge and Tunnel uh, version, number one of that show, which is going to be free on the Legion feed, where uh, me, Derek Bourgeois, and, and Suzanne discuss Alice Sweet Alice. Those are, mm. The Bridge and Tunnel one will be all Connecticut and New Jersey movies. So yeah. the, the, that'll be fun to do some so some bonus material for you guys. But uh, look for some more bonus material from us on the Legion Patreon. We're going to do The Wanderers for you guys to go along with this movie. That might be a thing, just doing a movie to go along with this movie. The, the movie and it's, uh, it's fun to talk about other films too, guys. And that's another film like this, but it's set in the 50s, I think. It's more like uh, a producer type thing. The 50s and 60s? 60s. I'm 60s. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Same New York feel, though, it's the same area. But um, next up on this show is an exciting one. It's, it's a fan favorite again. Um, the Long Riders from 1980. It's a, it's a very brotherly film because it stars a bunch of brothers as these characters. And I, I mm. like the feel of that. I'm going to spoil that right now. It's, it adds a little something to the film. And uh, James Remar is back in a small role, and he's, he's angry as ever. And, uh, <laughs> and maybe we get the first appearance by Ry Cooter doing the score. Of this movie, and I'm mm. I'm looking forward to talking about his his uh, influence on Walter Hill's cinema and you know the, the movies and everything because I, I think he plays a pretty big role. The Ry Cooter scores in his movies. Oh, fuck when we get to fucking Southern Comfort, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, but that you get that and a whole lot more on the next last call of Torchies. I I thank my 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 friends here, my 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 gentlemen, my my uh, my crew of, of uh, boppers here. You know, we're gonna go, we're gonna go hang up our our sweaty again. It's hot in New York City this summertime. Them them leather sweats, oh. them, them leather vests had to be heavy when they were wearing no shirts. You know, yeah, <laughs> right, right. What is it with these dude wearing sweaty clothes when it's hot outside? I don't, I don't get it, man. But uh, <laughs> those it, vests were white when they started. It looks it looks good on them, but they're just very very heavy now. But um, mm. our hearts are very heavy from talking about this film. But that's where I'll leave this, and uh, we'll see you all. All again on the very next Last Call of Torchies. Bye-bye. Cheers. Later. These are the armies of the night. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? The Furies. The Boppers. The Hi-Hats. The Lizzies. The Turnbull ACs. 
the Gramercy Riffs. Riffs! Yeah! And these are the Warriors. We know about the Warriors. They're a heavy outfit. They're from Coney Island. Warriors? You guys are the big dudes, huh? Now, they're in the Bronx. We're going back. 27 miles behind enemy lines. It's the only choice we got. Between them and safety, stand 20,000 cops <laughs> and 100,000 sworn enemies. I want them all. I want all the warriors. They've got one way out. They've got one chance. They've got one night. The Warriors.